trust issues. We all have them. Where do they come from? And how do we overcome them? In this series, Trust Issues, we will learn how to thrive when it comes to our future, finances, loved ones, and relationships. Well, hello, City First. How's everybody doing today? Come on, let me hear you. If you're in the house, we love you very much. Come on, give it up for Cape Coral, who are joining us right now. Also, Dixon and Hardy, God Behind Bars. Come on, we love you guys. And everyone joining us online, we want to say welcome to our online church family. We love you. And obviously here at Spring Creek, which includes our state line locations, it is good to be in church, right? It is so good to be in church. And before I jump into my message, I just want to take a moment and share with you something that's exciting that's happening here in a couple of weeks. And that is that we have our annual end of year offering that we call Legacy Offering. And this is important because we do this every year. We've done it for like over a decade. And the reason we do it is for two reasons. First reason is this, is because we want to give our first and our best gift of the Christmas season to Jesus. And here's the reason why. Uh, it seems like Christmas has become super commercialized throughout the years. And many people don't even know the real reason for Christmas. So what we do is we always bring an extra offering during the Christmas season to reflect the generosity of our God who loved the world so much that he gave his only son. So love always uh, solicits generosity. And so what we do is we bring our first and best gift to Jesus, and it keeps our hearts calibrated to the real reason of the season. Second reason is this, is the funds that come in for the legacy offering not only help fund generosity from our church to the communities, like helping people in need, not only during the Christmas season, but actually year round. So we are helping to provide Christmas to like literally hundreds and, and even thousands of families. We're going to buy thousands of presents for children who would not have Christmas without our generosity. We continually are giving not only during the Christmas season, but year round. And the legacy offering helps to do that. In fact, let me give you an example. I said this uh, last week, but this coming week is the Thanksgiving holiday, and already City First is able to provide 1,500 meals to homeless people in our community because of your generosity you've already given. So you don't have to give towards that, but because you gave before, we were able to do that. So again, Legacy sets us up to be able to give not only locally, but nationally and internationally with world missions uh, year round. So just uh, let's be generous. This is an over and above type offering, which means if you normally give this amount, you give a little bit more during the Legacy season because we're generous and we want to help people in need. And I'm going to tell you, just do four things for me over the next couple of weeks. The first one is is I want you to pray. I want you to pray what is your part that you can play because everybody can do something, all right? It's not everybody doing equal, but everybody can do something. The second thing is to plan because every significant sacrifice requires a plan. In other words, budget 
for generosity, budget for generosity. Number three, commit. In other words, say, okay, God, I'm in. I'm going to do this. And then number four, bring on December 6th or December 13th. The reason we do two weekends is because people's pay periods. And uh, we've noticed throughout the decade that people appreciate if there's two opportunities, they just choose one weekend or the other to, to give. So on the 6th and the 13th, we're going to have our end of year over and above legacy offering. And I would like to encourage you to be generous because it makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much, church, for being a generous church. You always have been. City First has always been generous. And so let's continue to be generous during this Christmas season. Well, today uh, we're continuing the sermon series that we're calling Trust Issues. And uh, what we're doing is this month, we are talking about specific things and hopefully prayerfully dismantling some of our primary trust issues. And we all have them, all right? We all have trust issues. Last two weeks, I've been talking about how Jesus is our source, that he's our source of help, He's our source of our identity, of our fulfillment, of our joy, of our salvation. He is our source. And in fact, Jesus says of himself in the book of John, this is kind of our theme verse, you could say, in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says of himself, I am the only way, the only way to God, and the real truth, and the real life, no one comes to the Father but through me. So what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, I'm the only door that you walk through to have a relationship with the Father in heaven. I'm the only door you walk through for forgiveness of sin. I'm the only door you walk through, you could say, for heaven as your home. And so we've been talking about him being our primary and our only source. Um, reminds me of a story of an old farmer. And uh, this farmer decided he was going to visit a new church. And so this farmer, um, even though, uh, you know, his clothes were spotlessly clean, uh, they were worn. Like he, he had a pair of jeans and he had a jean shirt and some old boots and, and kind of like a ragged, you know, old John Deere hat. And he approached the entrance to this church and he took off his John Deere hat and he had his ragged Bible, you know, it's been worn. And he walks into this church and this church is like this pristine church and it's on a nice side of town and it's very upscale and and you know it's the largest most beautiful church that this farmer has ever been in before and when he walked in he noticed that the congregation were they were all dressed up in suits and expensive clothes and dresses and accessories and so the farmer comes in he takes a seat and when he took a seat actually people that were already seated there stood up and moved away from him and uh, they didn't greet him. They didn't speak to him. No one welcomed him. In fact, they were kind of offended and appalled over the fact that he had worn jeans and kind of like a beat-up shirt and all that into church. And so as the old farmer was leaving the service, the pastor came off the stage and ran up to the farmer and said this. He said, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you, um, before you come back again, the pastor said, uh, can you have a talk with God and ask God what he thinks would be the appropriate attire for worshiping here? And so the farmer was like, all right, yes, sir, I'll do that, preacher. Next Sunday, the farmer came back, and he was wearing the same jeans and the same jean shirt 
and the same boots and had the same old John Deere hat that he took off as he came into the church and his same old worn Bible and walked right into the church, sat down, and again, he was shunned. People ignored him. After the sermon, the preacher came off the stage again and said, hey, I thought I asked you to speak to God before you came back to church. And the farmer said, well, pastor, I, I did. And the pastor said, well, if you spoke to God, what did he tell you about the proper attire that you should be wearing to be worshiping here? And the farmer thought for a minute, and he goes, well, pastor, God told me he didn't have a clue what I should wear because he said he'd never been here before. <laughs> Why did I tell you that story? Well, first of all, thankfully, that's not city first, all right? We tell people all the time that you can come clothed in your right mind and one out of two ain't bad. So this is the thing. This was thankfully not our church, but this is the thing. The reason I tell you that story is because sometimes people have issues because of the experiences they've had with people who call themselves Christians and it distorts their perception of God and church. We've all had these experiences. Some of you watching even right now online, you've had this experience. You've had a negative experience with someone who calls themselves a Christian, and you are thinking to yourself, well, I don't want to go to church. I'm not even sure I want to follow God because this person who says they're a Christian acted this way or did this or had this kind of an attitude. Let me put it another way. It's if Jesus had a t-shirt company. Let's pretend Jesus had a t-shirt company. And every time that there was a follower of his who decided to follow him, he gave that person a t-shirt. All right? And the t-shirt said, I'm with Jesus. All right? And uh, the t-shirt said, I'm with Jesus. So again, if you follow Jesus, then you wore a shirt that said, I'm with Jesus. But here's the problem. The issue was that some people wearing the t-shirt had a very different lifestyle or did very different things than other people that wear, wore the t-shirt. In fact, some people who wore the t-shirt were really nice. Some people who wore the t-shirt were pretty mean. Some people who wore the t-shirt, they were pleasant to be around. Some people who wore the t-shirt were jerks. Some who wore the t-shirt held themselves to a high standard and others didn't care. And, and some who wore the t-shirt, they told the truth. And some who wore the t-shirt, they lied a lot. Or maybe some were generous and some were stingy, but yet they wore the same shirt. Some maybe practiced what they preach and others didn't. Some were forgiving and some who wore the t-shirt were super toxic. Some kept their word and some couldn't be trusted. Some actually who wore the t-shirt did the exact opposite of what Jesus commanded them to do. Now, all of a sudden, you're a person. You don't wear the T-shirt. You're just interacting with people who do from time to time. And some of the people that wear the T-shirt, you really respect, and they're cool people. And then some people who wear the T-shirt drive you crazy. And then one day, somebody walks up to you and says this, hey, do you want to put on a T-shirt? And at that moment, you're like, mm, I'm not sure, because I'll put on the T-shirt if it means that I'm like those people, but I don't want to put on the t-shirt if it means that I'm now affiliated with those other people. You see, all of a sudden, there's a pause, right? Reminds me of about four weeks ago, I gathered together a group of unchurched people. I invited them to come to a meeting. We rented out a restaurant locally here in Rockford and uh, invited people who don't go to church to come. 
And what I asked them to do is this, as I said, just come to this meeting and I'm going to ask questions about church and I want you to give me an honest answer. In fact, I said this, I go, I realize that um, I'm a pastor and some of you may know who I am. Some of you may not know who I am, but it doesn't matter. What I want you to do is answer honestly. You are not going to hurt my feelings. So give me honest answers. And so for the next two and a half hours, ladies and gentlemen, two and a half hours, we sat in that restaurant and all that I did and the small team of staff that came with me is we asked a room full of unchurched people questions about their perception of church in general. And then we just took notes and it was very informative, very helpful. The room was full of super sharp, really great people. They just didn't go to church. You know where some of the things that they said, some of the things that surfaced, some of the things that surfaced were this, like they didn't go to church because they didn't know what to expect. Like, like they weren't sure what it was going to be like on the inside of the building. The, the other thing that surfaced is would, would they feel outcast? Like if they came in, in fact, one guy even said this was like, man, if I show up hungover, is everybody going to look at me? Like, they, were they going to be outcasted? I mean, were they going to be looked at? Kind of like that story of that old farmer, right? Or another person was talking about, well, is the, church, is the church full of opinionated people? Like, do they have opinions about me before I even walk in the door? Another person said, you know, if, if, is the church inclusive or is the church exclusive? Like, is it a club or is it something where anybody could come? That was one of the questions they had. Or another thing is this, they were wondering, is church even necessary? Why do I even have to go to church? All kinds of very, very interesting thoughts. And here's what I, I learned that day. I learned, I didn't get the impression that anyone in the room was anti-church. They just had a real strong hesitancy about going. I also didn't get the impression that anybody in that room was anti-God. But you know what? They had met people who wore the t-shirt that confused them about the God that the people who wore the t-shirt claimed to serve. You hear that? And so because of that, there was a hesitancy. And you know what they had? I mean, at the end of the day, they didn't say this, but they had trust issues with church. That's really what they had. But don't we all have trust issues? I mean, really? Like, like I have problems with some people who wear the t-shirt. And you do too. In fact, I would even say this, I have problems with the person who wears the t-shirt that sometimes looks in the mirror, because this is what I know. I know that some days I wear this shirt really good, and there are other days that I wear it really bad. And you know what? I'm very imperfect, and you're imperfect, and we're all imperfect. And, and, and this is what I know. Anyone, anyone is going to, who looks to people who wear the t-shirt to be the standard of God is going to be disappointed. Does that make sense? Anybody who looks to someone who claims to be a Christian and somehow says this person is the equivalent of the God they serve in their standards and actions and motives and all those things, they are going to be very disappointed. Now, this is not an excuse about behavior or actions. I'm not trying to shrug my shoulders and just say it is what it is. I'm simply just saying this. Anyone, no matter how good they are, trying to be like Jesus is going to be a pretty bad version of the real Jesus. You hear that? It's just going to be, it's just true. 
If you're looking to me to be like Jesus, if you're looking to the person next to you to be like Jesus, if you're looking to your spouse, your coworker, the fellow student, your boss, your employee, or whatever else, you're gonna be sorely disappointed. It doesn't give us license to be sloppy. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is even the best person who's wearing the t-shirt on their best day is not gonna come anywhere near how great our God is. Does that make sense? It's not even come anywhere near it. So there's gonna be trust issues. There's gonna be trust issues, and here's the truth. It says in Psalms 118, it is better to trust in the Lord than to depend on people. And uh, no matter how good they are, no matter, I mean, wh whoever the most perfect person is in your mind, it is always better to trust in God than to depend on people. Again, Jesus has to be our source. Do you see a little theme here that I'm building over these four weeks? <laughs> Jesus has to be the source. That nothing else even shines a light on Jesus being the source. Because someone who wears the t-shirt is going to disappoint you. But that does not mean that Jesus is disappointing you. Do you hear that? So it's important that we don't walk away from God because one of his earthly kids is acting dumb. Let me say it again. It's important that we don't walk away from God because one of his earthly kids is acting dumb, all right? Because this is going to happen. Now, don't put your trust in people. That also includes you. Don't put your trust in you. Because guess what? There's going to be days that you act dumb, right? In fact, trust in the Lord. Here's the truth. People in general, whether they're Christ followers or not Christ followers, people in general are going to disappoint you from time to time. It's going to happen. They're going to hurt you. They're not going to meet your expectations. They're going to cause you pain. Something's going to happen. In fact, you will hurt other people also. You will not meet other people's expectations. You will cause other people pain. Doesn't make it right. I'm just stating the facts because we are broken creatures in a hopelessly broken world, shattered by sin and hopelessly lost outside of the work of the cross of Calvary. So we got to understand that, that we can't look to people to be our, our, our standard when it comes to how God is. Our world is full of a lot of pain and wrongdoing, but here's a newsflash. It's people who do the wrong and create the pain. Do you hear that? So we cannot look to the broken to repair our brokenness, okay? We cannot look to the flawed to entrust our faith. We cannot look to the imperfect for our perfection. We cannot look to saints to be our savior, but rather instead, we must look to the resurrected one to give us reconciliation with the one and only God. We have to look to him. This is an example that we must follow, Jesus. But as we try to follow him, we're going to miss the mark from time to time. So you know what we do? We don't follow other people. We follow Jesus. He's the source of our trust. You know, um, something that I really want you to hear, though, as I'm talking about this, another truism that I don't want you to, by mistake, mishear me or misunderstand is this. Jesus is not saying we shouldn't trust anyone. Okay, that's huge. Like, some of you are listening right now. You're like, mm-hmm, pastor, that's right. People have let me down. They've hurt me. They've failed me. So therefore, I'm not going to trust anyone. I'm just only going to trust God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you first and foremost must trust God, and then you carefully trust other people. 
but you realize that those other people are going to let you down from time to time. This is not a sermon about basically, darn the man, I'm not going to trust anybody. That is not what I'm saying, because here's the trouble we get in. Number one, when we trust other people more than God, and then number two, when we trust no one. Either way, we're in a ditch. Does that make sense? Either way, we've driven into a ditch. If we trust other people more than God, or if we trust no one. You see, this is the thing. Both of these actions will give us trust issues. So, so here's another truth, you know, people are going to fail you, okay? They're going to fail you. And, and, and as I kind of like kind of wrap up today and kind of go into the last kind of portion of my message, I, I just want you to know this, that, that there are things that you're going to have to do if someone has failed you. And all of us have had people fail us. So I'm going to give you right now, I've gone from kind of like the, you know, here's the problem. Now I'm going to give you very, very, very specific solutions, all right? And, and I want you to take notes on these things because I promise you, if you do these things, you're going to find movement towards spiritual health. You're going to find yourself moving in the right direction towards a deeper relationship with Jesus and also towards healing from any hurt that you have experienced. I'm not saying it's going to be a quick fix, but you're going to be making movement, all right? First thing is this, you got to ask yourself, who was it that hurt me? Who was it that hurt me? I mean, was it a family member? Was it a friend? Was it, um, you know, a boss? Was it a pastor? Uh, was it a coworker? Was it a stranger? Who is it that, that hurt you? Now, the minute I, I asked that question, I guarantee you that probably a name and a face jumped into your mind. Like, it may not be a big hurt, or maybe it is a big hurt, but somebody, you know, who's ever recently offended you or someone that really, really failed you or hurt you, I mean, that name, that face probably jumped into your head immediately. So even if you're taking notes, if you want to, just go ahead and you can write down that name if you want. If you don't want to, if you're like, uh, then write it in code, all right, or whatever, okay, okay? But, but who, who hurt you? Who was it? Secondly, what did they do? What did they do? I know you're going, well, Jerry, you're getting real elementary here. Yeah, yeah, but I want you to think about this. I mean, did they betray you? Did they deceive you? Did they lie? Did they somehow, um, you know, in a sense, trick you? Did you have unmet expectations? What is it that they specifically did? What happened? Because here, here's what's important. It's not just the story, but it is the story you're telling yourself. That's very important. Tell you that right there was worth the morning, and here's the reason why. Let's just pretend you know uh, you're a daughter, and you really look up to your dad, and you know your mom and dad are married, and you've always looked up to him, and he's you know and such, and then all of a sudden you find out that your dad um, had an affair. And obviously, I mean, the world comes crashing down. Now there's stress in your parents' marriage, and and you are very hurt. You're very hurt over the fact that you feel betrayed, you feel tricked, you feel um, you're offended, right, over what your dad did. So then you grow up. And as you grow up, all of a sudden, you start having trust issues with men. And your brain is telling you, you know what, I can't trust any guys. Well, you see, there's not only the story of what happened, but there's also the story of what you're telling yourself. So what is the narrative that the failure has created for you? What are you telling yourself? What are you saying about yourself, your actions, your future, your present, overcoming your past? See, there is a narrative that you are telling yourself based upon the story. 
So there's two stories going on. Does that make sense? And you have to define how did it make you, in a sense, number three, feel. How did it make you feel? Did it hurt you? Did it make you angry? Are you offended? Are you disappointed? Do you feel unloved? Do you feel violated? Are you scared? Are you fearful? What, what is it that, how did it make you feel? It's important because again, you're saying this is the story. This is the story I'm telling myself and this is how it's making me feel. And then number four, what should your response be? This is the last question. What should your response be? Well, I'm gonna give you some steps on how to respond. And these are going to be super helpful, I promise, all right? So how do you respond? Well, I'm gonna give you some F words. Now some of you are like, I don't need any more F words. I got plenty about this situation. I don't need more, all right? No, no, I'm gonna give you some other F words, all right? And, and I want you to remember these. The first step that you gotta respond with is that you have to feel. I know that's not the F word you thought I was gonna say. You thought I was gonna say another one, which I'm gonna say in a moment. But this is the thing. Some of you are getting really uncomfortable right now. You're like, whoa. All right. So, no, listen, you have to feel. And it's important because so many times we tell people after they've been hurt to just move forward and start getting to an action step without allowing them to actually feel. Feelings um, are not bad. They can be bad but they are not bad. A lot of times feelings, I thought about this this morning, it's like feelings are kind of like, it's kind of like a road sign or a direction arrow. They just point to something. Now, now they're not bad, but they point to something. They're bad when you live by them, but, but it also is bad if you pretend they're not there, okay? And, and you, know, you know this, there's all kinds of like health studies of people who suppress their feelings and years later, they have health issues. So you have to identify, how did it make you feel? It's your first F word. How did it make you feel? I, here's the thing. This person and their actions, whoever hurt you, those actions in that person have probably hijacked your emotions. Okay? Now listen, it's okay because to pretend like you don't feel is actually lying to yourself. So I love what Lisa Turkhurst says. She says this, when your feelings get hysterical, it's historical. All right, now, what does that mean? It means this, if all of a sudden there's an inordinate response, your feelings are through the roof, you get triggered later in life and there's this huge response or whatever it is, you know, it could be that the feelings are much like, I'm gonna isolate and I'm gonna push everybody away or maybe it's anger, or maybe it's depression, deep depression, whatever, whatever the feelings are that become hysterical, they have a historical root. In other words, you have to go back and say, why are these feelings so inordinately big or extreme? It's probably because it goes back to a moment in your history. Moment in your history. I can't tell you how many times in youth ministry I dealt with this. Like I would go up to youth and I would try to talk to them and they would, they would almost become like clammed up and like real, almost like push me away right away. And I'm like, hmm, that was a hysterical move, which means there's a historical root. There's something there, 
catch something there. So I would ask questions and I'd try to kind of peel back the layers and I'd be like, okay, what's going on and what happened? You know, those kind of things. Listen, when it's hysterical, it's historical. So how does it make you feel? It's okay. It's okay to have this situation hijack your feelings. It's not okay to stay hijacked. Okay, to hear that? Second F word, the one you thought I was gonna say, forgive. I'm saying you're like, no, that's not what I thought you were gonna say. Damn, a dirty mind. Forgive. I know some of you are like going, oh, this one's hard. You know, it is hard. It's hard because forgiveness is a choice. It's rarely a feeling. Like I will tell you, out of all the times I've had to forgive people, I rarely felt like it. It was 99% of the time a choice. You know, Bishop Desmond Tutu said this about forgiveness. He said, without forgiveness, there is no future. And, 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 and if you know his circumstances, he's speaking into a, a, an environment of pain right there. And he's telling people, you better forgive because there's no future if you don't forgive. And he's right. You see, hurt feelings don't want to cooperate with right choices. When, when I have to make a right choice, my hurt feelings don't want to cooperate with that. But forgiveness is not based upon you just determining to do so, but rather forgiveness is based upon cooperation with God as the Holy Spirit comes next to you and helps you to forgive. Because if you just try to do it in your own strength, you're not gonna do it. You need to have the Holy Spirit come alongside of you and realize that great forgiveness was extended to you by God. And guess what? Now God is gonna come alongside of you and help you extend great forgiveness. But forgiveness does not mean forgetfulness. It doesn't mean that you pretend it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that you, um, that the person gets off the hook. It doesn't mean that they get off scot-free. It doesn't mean that there are consequences. You see, this is what forgiveness is, and I love how David Stoop put this in his book, uh, Forgiving the Unforgivable, which is a great book. If, if you had a a really massive tragedy in your life and and um, this book is 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 raw and it is it is super good and it talks about forgiving the unforgivable and this is what he writes he goes forgiving others does not in any way benefit or let them off the hook this is very important it allows us to cancel the debt they owe us now listen which in all probability they can never pay anyway we are the ones who are freed from the expectation of restitution for the wrongs done to us. Oh, I know. I know you want that person to pay you back. But here's the truth. They won't, most likely. They probably aren't even thinking about it. Or what happens if the person that hurts you stays in a state of denial and disobedience. Do you then have to carry all the bitterness until they get right? You see, no, no, no. Forgiveness is canceling the debt of what they owe you because they're probably not gonna pay it back to you anyway. They probably don't have the ability to. And so therefore, you're saying, instead of the chains of bitterness binding me, keeping me immobilized, not able to live my fullest life to get, that God wants me to live, I'm going to 
break the chains and be able to move forward because the alternate of unforgiveness is not that appealing. I mean, what's the, what's the opposite of forgiveness? Well, bitterness, hate, revenge. I mean, do you want your kids to grow up someday and be like, man, I'll tell you what, I looked up to mom, she was so full of hate. Dad, man, all I wanted was revenge. No, we never admire the life of someone who lives in bitterness. We never want that. So you know what? Forgiveness is something you do that cancels the debt. That doesn't mean that God still isn't working on them, that God still isn't, um, you know, in a sense, there's a debt there with God. Okay, listen, I, this has nothing to do with the consequences of the other person. That's between them and God. This is you saying, I refuse to be wrapped up in the chains. I'm gonna cancel the debt that they're probably not gonna pay me back anyway. So therefore, I'm gonna choose freedom. I'm gonna choose life. I'm gonna choose moving forward. I'm gonna choose health. See, if you try to go and, and, and leverage revenge back at that person, I'm gonna tell you, revenge is just signing up to be hurt all over again. <laughs> anybody, anybody who has ever tried to get revenge usually is signing up for just more hurt. There's an old Chinese proverb that says this, that if someone who is uh, trying to get revenge should dig two graves, one for the person and one for themselves. Third step is this, find ministry, find ministry. You need a community of faith where you can be ministered to. And what's so devastating, going back to the church hurt topic I began with, it's what's so devastating is so many times that people that have been hurt in church or someone who wore the t-shirt has disappointed them or failed them is that they then leave the very environment in which they would be healed in. They say, I'm not going back to church. Well, where else are you going to find healing? You're going to find it on Instagram? You're going to find it from the bartender? Are you going to find it from harboring pain? No, 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 no. Listen, you gotta get back into a church. Now, I'm not saying you get back into the same church. I'm not saying you go back under the same person or befriend the same person. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is, is this, is that you find a Jesus-centered church and you get involved because there is a soul work that Jesus wants to do on your heart and he wants to help heal you from those hurts and that happens within the context of faith. Do you hear that? So this is why life groups are so important because when you get involved in a life group here at City First, you come along some other side of some other people that you begin to build trust with, but focus on Jesus primarily. And guess what? Together, you begin to go on a journey and there's healing, there's restoration, there's all kinds of great things. And so I highly encourage you to get involved in a life group. Last, number four is this, fix boundaries. Fix boundaries. Lisa Turkhurst in her new book, Forgiving What You Cannot Forget, and by the way, I would suggest getting that one too. Forgiving What You Cannot Forget. She talks about creating boundaries, and boundaries are not meant to hold other people out, but hold you in. Now, I know you didn't think of it that way. You've always thought of a boundary as being something that like keeps that other person, that toxic person away from you. Well, it does that, but can I tell you, it's primarily to keep you in so that you stop wandering back into the environment of toxicity and keep getting hurt. Because some of us, if I could just preach to y'all, some of you need to quit walking back into the relationship that keeps hurting you, the conversations that keep hurting you, the environments that keep hurting you. You gotta set a boundary that keeps you in so that you don't cross over 
and get hurt all over again. Well, this time is different, Pastor. No, it's not. It's not. Well, this time he loves me. No. <laughs> well, this time I know it's going to be different. No. You see, the first time you get hurt, that, that's unfortunate. That's a mistake. But the second time you walk into that environment without creating a boundary, that's a choice. That's a choice. So you got to create boundaries so that you don't get triggered, so you don't get hurt. And it takes some, some guts, I know, to do that. But you got to create boundaries. So through it all, you got to follow Jesus through everything a step of the way. In fact, as we close, I, I, I just want to say, regardless of the outcomes, a restoration story is possible between you and Jesus. What I mean by that is, as you trust him, he will restore you. I, I can't promise you that there's gonna be reconciliation or restoration with you and the one that hurts you. But what I can promise you is, as you trust Jesus, there will be restoration between you and him where he will give you restoration and heal your soul. In fact, even last night as I flew in from O'Hare, I was down at the Cape and, and uh, you know, briefly was helping with their food distribution and such. And, and uh, when I came back last night, I landed at O'Hare and Jen picked me up from the airport and we were talking about a couple that um, unfortunately the husband had an affair and, and it, was a very, um, it was a very devastating situation. All the circumstances around it are, are really super hurtful. And, uh, and I told her as we were driving down I-90, I said, you know, I, I believe that God can do miracles and I will always stand on that truth, that God can restore the impossible. I believe that God can do the impossible. But I told her, I said, but you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see how this marriage can be restored. I said, I don't see how this couple can come back together. And Jen and I were just like shaking our heads. We're like, I know, because the hurt was so deep and it was such a tragic situation. I'm not saying God can't do it, but, but man, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And I say all that to say, I can't promise you that reconciliation is gonna happen between you and the person that hurt you. But I can promise you that as you follow Jesus, he will restore you. He'll restore your soul. He will give you life and life to the fullest, John 10, 10. He will take old, old fashioned way of saying it, King James here, Old Testament. Says he will take what the canker worm has eaten. Now remember, he was talking to an agrarian society, and these locusts, these worms would come and eat the crop. And, and basically, God was saying that God is going to take what the canker worm or the locusts have eaten and is going to restore it. So, what the enemy has tried to destroy, God is going to restore and is going to make you whole as you focus on Him. You know what you got to do, though? As you're going through your journey of restoration, doing these four steps, Jesus in every single one of them, you need to just keep on telling yourself, I'm with Jesus on this one. And he is helping me every step of the way. And little by little every day, it's gonna take time, but little by little every day, I'm becoming more and more whole. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let's pray right now for my friends and God, I know that Today, in some ways, I've opened up a, a, a can. <laughs> I've opened up a Pandora's box. I've opened up a situation that has been um, maybe a situation of remembrance that's been painful. Lord, maybe um, I've once again 
stirred something inside of people and, 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 and Lord, we've been reminded that we're carrying bitterness that God never intended us to carry. So Lord, I pray that at the end of the day that we would say, we're just sticking with you. We're gonna trust you as our ultimate source of healing, of identity, of strength, and as we can, we're gonna trust others carefully. Lord, but at the end of the day, God, we aren't gonna trust them more than we trust you. So Lord, heal people. Lord, for those that maybe have never made you the leader and the forgiver of their life, I pray that even right now, just they would say a simple prayer and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want you to be the leader, I'm with you. Even right now, where they're at, in their living room, right here in this auditorium or any of our auditoriums. God, may they make that decision to follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God a huge round of applause. Can we do that? Well, how incredible. And if you would just stay with me for about 60 seconds, I wanna to speak to anybody who made that decision to make Jesus a leader and the forgiver of your life. And if that's you, best decision that you will ever make. And as your church family, we wanna come alongside you on that journey. And one simple way we can do that, we have a new beginnings resource for you. It's easy to follow along with, it's free, it's helpful. You can just text the number on your screen to get a digital copy. If you're with us in person, you can stop by the Next Step booth and pick up a physical copy. But we are so excited for you and for the faith journey that you are on. Church, one more time, can we give everybody a huge round of applause? So amazing. And how about we give Pastor Jeremy a round of applause? What an amazing message, so helpful, so timely. And hey, if this message encouraged you, helped you, you're thinking of other people maybe who need it, we want you to share it on social media, on Facebook, on YouTube. Let's be people who are spreading the good news of Jesus during this season. We love you, church, and we hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving. We can't wait to see you next week.